Maybe here today we start a marriage series, and can I just be honest? I never preached a marriage series to a bunch of married people. It's always been people looking for marriage, you know? And uh, so I say that to say, y'all might think, I have no idea what I'm talking about. And um, I probably don't. I've only been married 20, what, three years now? Yeah. So I'm just hoping that the word's going to pull me through. Honestly, my heart is full. Uh, I'm so excited. I, I, I don't normally preach to Julie because uh, I don't want to start that relationship, you know. Um, but I just couldn't help but, but overflow yesterday and bubble out. So let's pray. Lord in heaven, we don't need to hear anything else but what you have to say. The only thing that matters is your word. It's not experience and preferences and opinion. Your word is timeless. And if we want our lives and our marriages, God, to mimic that, we must embrace the principles of your word. I pray today, God, that you would open our hearts, Lord, and help us to interpret those things and let us see exactly what you have for our marriages. And even for those, God, who are looking at marriage on the horizon, I pray, God, today that wisdom and knowledge, God, would come into their life that they would be circumvented, God, around the things that we've had to struggle through in our marriages. I pray that they would ride upon the shoulders of us and learn. Father, we love you. We ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just a few statistics this morning. I was looking around just to see how important this idea and this concept of marriage is. Right now on Amazon, there's over 60,000 books on marriage. In case you need some inspiration. The predicted number of sales for books on marriage uh, this year should exceed Two million sales. But the highest rated genre in book sales is romance. Okay. Uh, one of the best selling books right now is The Eight Rules of Love, How to Find It, Keep It, and Let It Go. That might tell you something, and that doesn't tell you the other book is Heartbreak After the Hookup, How to Feel Empowered After Casual Sex. Uh, I feel like something's not right there. You know what I mean? I don't know. It just seems a bit off. Almost 30% of the top-selling books right now have to do with love, and almost 50% of them deal with relationships. Do you have an idea of what the world's looking for? And it's not just friendships, because we could just say, well, it's just relationships, Pastor Scott. It's just, just relationships. It's not just relationships, because I looked in 2021, and just to kind of get an idea, in 2021, Facebook had 2.7 billion users. 2.7 billion users at an average of 338 friends per user. That means if we was to look at the world's population of around 7.9 billion, that means that if everyone on, the, on planet Earth was on Facebook, they would average 119 friends. We're not struggling for connections. We're not even struggling so much for friendships. We can find those. What people are searching for is something more than just relationships. They're looking for intimacy. They're looking for something that's deeper than where they want to go. And the problem is that the world's defined intimacy. I scrolled over these health websites uh, so much, I just want to throw up. But they basically came down to the point that intimacy is defined as closeness between people and personal relationships. And I can get that to some degree in terms of friendship, but we're not talking about friendship. Because people are not searching out friendship. They're not trying to download books for friendship. They're looking for love. That sounds like a song I remember a long time ago. Looking for love and all the wrong. Y'all ever heard that song before? I'm a city boy. I heard that song before. 
But let me just say this as we, as we dive into, I don't know how long we'll be in this marriage series. Uh, my heart is twofold. One is that, boy, I prayed this morning, Lord, I, I deeply desire that the marriages in this house are healthy ones, whole ones, because your children need it. And your family needs it, right? Your, your spouse needs that to be healthy as well. And, and your neighbors need it. And, and the people you go see in town need it. And people on Facebook under a group called Little Birdie, they need it too. <laughs> I promise you, they need it. But the other people who need it as well are, are people who don't understand the importance of marriage. They don't know that there's a, there's a blessing in God's design. Did you know that right now we're looking at one of the lowest, lowest divorce rates in history? We're, st- we're descending. And you know why that is? People aren't getting married no more. Cohabitation is skyrocketed through the roof. And so what we're looking at is people who, who really want God's blessing in the design of marriage, but they're not willing to give the one thing that, that, that requires it, and that is sacrifice. Because we all know that, you know, we, we want to get as close to intimacy as possible, but you can't modify the design. If you modify the design, you've actually rejected the design. And the Lord's blessing does not come on those things that we modify. Uh, history repeats that over and over and over again. And so let me just say this as we go through uh, learning is that, is that if you want God's blessing, you've got to live God's way. It just, that's just how it works. Uh, you, can't, you can't take these principles that we're going to learn and say, let me apply it to my life. No, uh, I, I want you to be blessed. And if for some reason later on down the road you realize you're, you're living with somebody you shouldn't be, you want to get married, come talk to me. We'll, 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 we'll work on that because I want you to be blessed in your marriage. I want you to be blessed like the way that God blesses you. And so um, uh, I pray as we dive in, let's, let's let the Lord do what only he can do. We start, of all places to start, we start in Genesis chapter 2. We're talking about the beginning of, of, of intimacy, and I will say that for the rest of our conversations that we have, that biblical intimacy is what we're going to constantly fall back to. When you look at your life, when you look at your marriage, I can gauge the health of your marriage by gauging the health of your intimacy. That's for sure. And so let's go back to the beginning and see uh, why it's important and what can we learn from that. There's a ton here. Uh, and honestly, when I, I, I tried to study for this marriage concept, I thought, Lord, I don't, I don't know what to do. There's so much in front of me. And so today is just a step in that direction. Um, I don't know. I know many guys have asked me, we're going to have a sex talk. I said, yeah, we will. We'll get there. Just calm down, guys. We'll get there, I promise you. And all the ladies said, are we going to have a communication talk? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we probably will. <laughs> uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 24 says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man uh, called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds, to the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found for him, found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he, sleep, while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. 
And then the man said, this at last, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You ever read scripture, and as you read it, you go, well, when did that get in there? I never saw that before, you know? And as I was reading the, the scripture, I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Did I just read that there was a time when man was alone, and then God called it not good, and the first thing God did was to give him a job? That he had a job before he ever had a wife? Well, let's just go home. Like, that's it. That's, that's the end of the message today. Don't ask God for a wife if you ain't got a job. Everybody said, amen. And you women better say amen. The next thing God did was he gave him instruction to how to preserve his life. He says, obey my word. That's how you preserve your life. And then God gave him a problem. All the men love problems, right? He gave him a problem, and he gave him the power to solve it by naming the animals. So before women has ever stepped on the scene, what happened is, is God gave him a job. He gave him position. He gave him power. He gave him a problem. He gave him purpose. And also he gave him the way to preserve his life. The man is happy, right? Boy, what else do you need? What else are you striving for in life? And then God creates the woman. And as he creates the woman, now he, he realizes, oh, I've been missing something. And what I, what I find here is men uniquely, I, I, I say this to myself, but I include you in on this statement, that men, we were given a job, we were given a way to preserve life, we were given position, power, and purpose, and we still had no reason to praise. Because it was, it was, it was not until he created that woman did we sing a song and rejoice and find something we could finally share it. Can I tell you that man was never satisfied and never happy until the Lord brought him a woman. There's so much truth in that. I'm not going to stop there, but I had to bring that out. Is that the first ever recorded words of man was in response to a woman. Not his job, not his power, not his position, not his, not his principles, not his purpose, not none of, the, none of those things. It was when he brought woman, he finally speaks up. And we have the first words of mankind in response to his wife. At last, at last. In fact, to further emphasize this situation, what we see is this is that the Lord has been all along saying, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. But when he arrives at this place where Adam has no woman, he says, it is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. And when I realized that, I thought, you know what? There's some things i gotta, I got to make notice here. Is that first off, is that why is it not good? I mean, I understand. Some, some men would say, no, it was good, and then it wasn't good when he created a woman. I hope that's not your disposition. You're probably single and will remain that way. Um, but, but here's something here that I thought is important, especially for us. When, when, when God realized the situation was not good, it's because of a, a, a principle that started for creation. In fact, when God created us, creation, it was out of an overflow. You see, God in his love and the Trinity 
wanted to give and do for each other. They, the Trinity has this dance. It's a metaphor we use that one loves and prays the other, and the other one echoes it back, and they go backwards and forward, and they use this symbiotic dance relationship to bring glory to each part of the Trinity. And, and in this aspect, what we see is an overflow of love. The Father, he, 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 gives, in, he, he uh, gives the authority that he has to the Son. Because the Son is always in what the Father is asking to do. And He creates all of this. And the Son creates all things. For all things are made through Him and for Him. And then the Son redeems all the creation and gives it back to the Father. And there's this dance and the Holy Spirit is applying and enabling and acting the whole time. And all of this is because there was an overflow of the relationship that the Trinity had. And in doing so, creation came about. Because that's what happens when you have an overflow in your life. You're, you have selfless love. You long to give. And here God creates creation. Now, if you have some questions about what I said, you can read Ephesians 1, Hebrew, Hebrews 1, and John 5, and Philippians 2. Kind of help you with the whole Trinity concept stuff. But what I want you to know is simply this, is that if the Lord did not create anybody but Adam, then Adam's existence nullifies the overflow principle in God's life. In God's heart. Because he, your God is a loving God and he longs to give. His nature is to give. And how can he create a man who cannot give selfless love the way that he received selfless love? It nullifies the design of God. And so what we see is Adam, it's not just that he's without relationship true. It's not good for man to be alone. That's a problem. But it's also a problem that man can't devote and give his life into something else. And can I tell you, that's, that's who we're, we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be giving. We receive only to give. And so here we see this, this concept set up to us. Is that you were created for overflow. We've been talking about that. We'll talk about it for the rest of the year. But you were created to overflow because you were created for intimacy. Yes, you were created for intimacy. However crude or dark your human personality might be. You were created for intimacy. And so I want to give you three truths for biblical intimacy this morning. And the first one is simply this. It's the intimacy is embracing identities while sharing identity. Intimacy is embracing identities while sharing identity. The second one is the depth of our intimacy is determined by the depth of our vulnerability. And the third one is intimacy is multidimensional. So let's tackle the first one. In Genesis 2.18 it says this. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And the word to be alone literally means separate or cut off, uh, like that of a hand that's been cut off or separated. If a hand is cut off and separated, it lacks purpose. It lacks preservation of life. It lacks power to solve problems. It is separated altogether. And this is where uh, the Lord is communicating to us is that it is not good for man to be cut off. Do you know that one of the worst penalties you can do to a man is not punish him by physical pain? It's to put him in isolation. Isolation will do the worst damage to you. It's not good for man to be alone. And we know that, that God has called us to not be alone. Matter of fact, he's called us to be one flesh. So in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, I, I've heard this my whole life, but tell me what does one flesh really mean? And so when we look at this, this passage of one flesh, the word one is, is depicting us or speaking to us about the oneness of our, our spouse, how close we are, how integrated we are. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, 
the Lord is one. It's the same word here, he had. And so this word is simply saying is that, that though you may be made of, of a compound of entities, multiple people, the Trinity is three persons and, and, and one God, one essence. It says, even though that, that you may be represented in three different ways, you, you still are one God. You are one being. And this is essential because during this time, uh, during the, the Canaanite theology, we, we talked about this a, little, a few weeks ago with Solomon, how he built um, uh, high places for different gods. And so in, in the times of the Canaanites, they were very polytheistic. They served the god of Kamash and Molech and Melanchon and, and, uh, and Ashram, all these different gods. They all believed that all these different gods would bring rain and crops and fertility and, and life over death and protection. And Moses is saying in the midst of all of this polytheism, no, our God is one God. He may show up in three different ways, but here's the thing. He is one God. The Lord is one. And let me illustrate what he means by one. Because sometimes in marriage, we come together as one flesh, but we feel like we lose our identity of who we are. And God is not saying that. God is saying that intimacy celebrates individuality in the relationship. Let me show you how he illustrates this. Genesis chapter 1 verse 5. It says that God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first or the Ehad day. So notice here that we have a makeup of morning and evening. And if you take away evening, you'll never know what a day is. If you take away morning, you'll never know what a day is because you need those opposites to define the borders of a day. Is anybody in here married to an opposite? Your morning and she's evening. Your evening and she's morning. Is, is anybody like that in here? Yes. Yes. It's so nice to be married to someone who's not like you. Isn't it? Some of y'all said, she's exactly like me, Pastor Scott. I don't know. Will you call me for counseling? We'll work, we'll work through that. I think sometimes in, in, in life we forget that the Lord has created someone to correspond to you. Understands your weaknesses. That's why, that's why he or she brings the strengths. You don't know it all. You can't do it all. You can't think through it all. You don't have all the answers. You can't make it all work by yourself. You're not supposed to. We see this as, as we, we break down through uh, uh, several scriptures. I'm just going to skip through that. But what I want you to see is, is simply this, that the Lord has designed you to have a counterpart, someone who actually brings completion to you. In, in fact, if we look back at Genesis 2.18, what we see is this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone or should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. The word fit for him literally means to correspond to. It means that as I look across as my spouse, I would realize is that, I don't have everything it takes to get through life, but both of us together, we do. We do. So that means I am not to demean her identity or her gifts or her abilities because without her, I'm incomplete. 
It's, it's not a matter of, uh, I can do it all by myself, I can make things happen. Many times in our marriages, what happens is, is that we begin to shift the percentage of the load, right? Where she might be doing it all, or he might be doing it all. And, and there are times and seasons that we, we do lean on each other. But, but holistically, uh, the sum of your marriage, you should not be carrying all the way. Because you should rely on them to help you accomplish the things that you are not supposed to do. On your own. If you were supposed to make the marriage work on your own entirely, then it would be fine for you to be alone. But the Lord says it's not good for you to be alone. Therefore, I will create someone who corresponds to you and meets your weaknesses with their strengths. And many times in our life, we we feel like we get frustrated with our spouses because we can't really embrace what they bring. What they bring feels a bit critical to us. You guys are quiet this morning. <laughs> what they bring feels a bit critical to us because their strengths magnify our weaknesses. And we're not really okay with that. Man, we have a problem with that. In fact, man, we feel that as disrespectful. When you lift up and you, you show where I'm weak at. And so we, we men reciprocate by, by strong-arming things and, 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 and becoming powerful and demonstrative. Or sometimes we just shut up and go cold quiet. But the problem is is that we don't understand how to to embrace the individuality of our marriage and realize that, that whenever she says something or he does something, it's literally for my absolute good. Let me give you context. So long as we're in a goodwill relationship, that you have goodwill towards each other, this is how it's supposed to be. But what we, what we want to do is we want to we shut that down. And so diversity in our marriages really allows our freedom and our uniqueness to address the problems that our spouses were, were meant to. And doing this embraces a oneness and, a, and it deepens our intimacy. If you can really appreciate who your wife is or who your husband is and all that they bring, you will actually push into intimacy. And the way that you define and the way that you need intimacy. And so it's not easy because it requires a good deal of trust. Uh, you know, it, it, I'll just, if I'm being transparent, it's, it's not for a long time. It was real difficult for Judah to tell me when I preached, you know, you should probably, uh, let me say the obvious, slow down when you preach, Scott. You know, my whole family says this. And so, uh, and so you know, in the beginning, it was like, you know what, you can be quiet. I don't want to hear none of that stuff, you know. I'm up there trying to be anointed and do my best to save people from the fiery flames of hell. <laughs> and you're up there saying, you should back off the speed, Scott. You know, like, slow down. And, 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 and it feels offensive to me because I'm thinking they're just criticizing me. And really, not at all. Julie wants the best for me. She wants to make sure that in everything I do, I am as effective as I desire to be. In fact, even greater, your spouse wants, wants you to excel more than you want to excel. And when you really understand that you are one flesh, one skin, one covering, one appearance, one identity, when you understand that, you'll realize is that your spouse, everything that she wants or everything he wants for you actually benefits them as well. They're not tearing you down so they can feel better about themselves. They believe in this wholeness 
and this intimacy. And this brings us to a place where we have to trust in them when they criticize us. It's easy when they give us a pat on the back and say, you're doing a great job. But when they, when they address the weaknesses with their strengths, it creates a problem. The second thing is this. This requires trust as well. It's the depth of our intimacy is determined by the depth of our vulnerability. Being vulnerable or openly sharing our thoughts and feelings, uh, experiences, is a measure of the level of, of intimacy in our relationship. How well, you sh- how well you share and how deep you share tells me a lot about your marriage. Can I say that again so you can have some pillow talk and walk through your issues? How well you share, how deep you share, tells me everything I need to know about your marriage. If we do counseling, I'll ask you, is how well do you share? How deep do you share? And the reason why this is difficult is because, because we understand that the more vulnerable we are, the more we put ourselves out there, right? The, the, the more the, the probability of us being hurt, it, it increases. That means we have to trust in our spouses even more. We stick our neck out even more. And, and, and when we look at relationships that have broken trust, what we see is this. People no longer want to put their neck out because they've been hurt before. And so they pull back. But can I tell you, can I tell you what happens when we pull back? It's simply this. When we pull back, we decrease the depth of our vulnerability. And when we decrease the depth of our vulnerability, we decrease the depth of our intimacy, which decreases the oneness in our marriage and eventually leads to separation, which generally ends in divorce. Let me say it again. You can track with me in your mind. When we pull back, we decrease the depth of our vulnerability which decreases the depth of our intimacy, which decreases the oneness of our marriage, which eventually leads to separation, which generally ends in divorce. And so vulnerability is is absolutely essential in our lives. In fact, if we look at the story of Jesus, when he was talking uh, to the woman who anointed his feet, Jesus says this in Luke 7, 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. The funny thing about this, this, this passage here is that the word many that, require, that, that, that describes sins is actually the same exact word that describes the word loved much. You could see it like this. Because her sins were many, she also loved many. Now that doesn't mean many people. That means on many different levels. Can I tell you that when Jesus forgave her, just like when he forgave you and me, that he forgave us at different levels, right? We had to be more vulnerable to him. We had to open up to him. We came, we asked for forgiveness about that, and then it was about this and about this. And you realize that your love for God and your devotion for God increased as you became more vulnerable with where you were at with him. And this is the same with our spouses, is that if you and I can become more vulnerable, we expose ourselves, which creates trust in them. What we find is that intimacy deepens in that moment because intimacy is based on your vulnerability. And vulnerability is based on your ability to trust. And so when we look at this situation, we need to understand, just like Jesus is saying to this woman here, that the capacity of her vulnerability determined the capacity of her forgiveness, which resulted in the capacity of her ability to love, and that applies to us as well. Vulnerability determines the capacity to love because it, it, it trusts the capacity um, in the person we're trying to love. The last thing is simply this, is the band will come back. 
Intimacy is multidimensional. In fact, if I can just complicate it for us, fellas, intimacy is, is multi-level and multidimensional. It would be nice if intimacy was just sex, but that is not as simple as it sounds. Intimacy is very complicated. It's multidimensional. Look at the intimacy that we have with God in terms of our devotion. Mark 12, 29 says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. We see that even in our devotion to God, there are levels of our devotion to God. God is looking for our devotion to him to be multidimensional. God does not want just our heart. He doesn't want just our emotions. He doesn't want just our intellect. He doesn't want just our body. The Lord wants all of us. It's a multidimensional thing. Can I tell you that when you give yourself over to your spouse, it is multidimensional. They don't want just your body, maybe in the beginning, but in the end it's not that way. They want, they, want your, they want your emotions, they want your mind, they want your body, and they even want your spiritual connection. Men, can I tell you that your women crave your devotion with God. They want someone to lead them spiritually. And so when we see these things, what, what does it tell us? Is that just as God wants our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, that these four components are making up something important for us in our relationship. That intimacy is multidimensional. It's spiritual, it's emotional, it's intellectual, and it's physical. And so how do we pour in? Can, let me just illustrate to you. Let me have that marker. We have, we have the spiritual, we have the emotional, we have the uh, intellectual, we have the physical. And the Lord knows that when we redeem our lives to him, there is an order that the Lord overcomes our lives, how he sanctifies us and calls them closer to us. It begins with the heart. It's, it's simply a spiritual thing. And eventually it's spiritual to the emotional, emotional to the intellectual, and intellectual to the physical body until we're rendering our parts, our body as a servant to the Lord. And so it kind of looks like this. Here's the physical. Then we have the intellectual. Then we have the emotional. And we have the spiritual. Does this look familiar to y'all? Good, because I, I, I want to brand it in your brain. I want you to look at your spouse and say, okay, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and physical. And see, what we need to understand is, is a lot of times we just want to pour in to whatever we feel like is the, the best, right? Guys, we just want to grab the bottom one and pour right into the physical. Ladies, we want to grab the emotional and pour right into the emotional, or sometimes it's the intellectual. But we don't really think about how this works, is that the Lord set this up, that as we look at how He pours into our life and how He redeems us in terms of our devotion to Him, this is the same way He's giving us a structure to understand what it's like for us to love our spouses. And so, and so as we 
get this right, it's first the spiritual, then it's the emotional, then it's the intellectual, then it's the physical. And as we pour ourselves in, what we find is simply this, is that it will overflow. But the problem is, is that each one of these containers here are limited in capacity. Didn't I tell you that you can experience emotional intimacy without Christ? Oh, it's possible. That you can experience intellectual intimacy and you can experience physical intimacy. But there's something about when we approach marriage the way that God designs it, God knows that we're limited in our capacities. And so God is not trying to stretch. He's not trying to grow the quantity. I love what God does instead. What he does is he increases the quality of it. And I don't know about you, but when I take a drink, I want a real nice cold drink. And it may have been good for you emotionally before, or maybe the intellectual was good before, the physical was good before. But can I tell you that when you make sure that you're filling the spiritual from the overflow of Christ, he makes everything a bit better, tastes a bit better. And we have been in this place in our life where we feel like our man doesn't really pour into us the way we want. And maybe it's not a matter of capacity. Maybe it's not a matter of quantity. Maybe it's a matter of quality. Guys, maybe we, we want our wives to, be, to, to meet our physical needs better. And, and we feel like we've stretched her capacity in terms of uh, um, what she can do or how she can feel, fulfill those needs. And the Lord is saying, it's not about quantity, Scott. That if you pour into your bride, if you pour into your husband, the, the quality of devotion, the quality of the overflow, if you make me the source and then you get the structure right, I will feel everything in order for you to understand what it's like to have a good, a good marriage, a great marriage. So this morning, let me ask you, is where in your life do you feel the most empty? And is it in line? Have you structured your intimacy biblically in your marriage? And are you trying to fill it with things that don't belong there? Have you went back to the coolness of Christ's nature and really sought him? Because the great thing about this, this illustration, as I see it, is this, is that a lot of times I, I find myself trying to pour into these things. But if I'll just receive, do you know what the function and the purpose of a branch is to do? The branch is not supposed to produce the fruit. The branch is supposed to lean into the vine. And, and we feel, we feel wore, wore out and fatigued in our marriages because we're trying to produce fruit. We're trying to pour in every capacity to make our spouse happy when really what we're supposed to be doing is just receiving from the vine. So if I can just say this simply, I would say this. Husband, wife, first off, know that you are needed and that no matter how great your spouse is, that you, what you bring to the marriage is essential. 
And for you to not contribute or walk in need in your marriage is to nullify God's design. God designed him and God designed her so that you would correlate to each other and accomplish the plan of God. And the second thing is, is, is where's your trust factor at? Intimacy is based on vulnerability and vulnerability is based on trust. Where are you not trusting? Where are you holding back? Why are you holding back? And the last thing is simply this is, are you aligned properly? Are you just trying to fill the thing that you feel like you need most? Because it ain't going to work that way. If you'll just focus on receiving from the top, everything else will feel itself all the way down. Will you stand with me this morning? Father in heaven, I pray. We get ready to leave out of here. The enemy, Lord, desires probably nothing more than to attack these marriages. He knows, Lord, how essential they are, not just to this church, not to this community, but, Father, to the church at large. So I, I pray today, God, that we walk out of here, God, understanding how important and how powerful, Lord, biblical intimacy is. And I pray that these are just more than just statements and principles. But God, I pray that we would hold fast to them. We would live them. We would act upon them. We would hold ourselves accountable to them. And so I pray, God, a blessing, Father, for over each and every marriage, God, as we walk out of here. Lord, would you keep them? Would you protect them? God, would you deal with those marriages, God, that have experienced pain and disappointment a lack of trust, would you restore that, Father? Lord, if you can restore the woman, Lord, who anointed your feet, God, you forgave her. And because you forgave her, God, she loved even more because she was forgiven so much. I pray the same thing, God, in marriages, that they may have done wrong things, but Lord, if you'll forgive them and you'll, you'll teach the spouse to forgive them, God, then that love will overflow like it's never been before. Pray, Lord, you do that. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, I love you. There's nothing more that I want to see is to see you grow and to see your marriages flourish. And the reason is simply this. It's not only because your spouse needs it, but because your children are looking at you and trying to decide what a healthy relationship is. And so I pray that as you leave today, that you remember that it's not just your eyes at home, but maybe your coworkers looking at you saying, I don't know how <laughs> you do it, but I want what you have. And I pray that you would go in the testimony of God, the glory of God this afternoon. Love you.